0: All right. Well, here we go with another episode where I get the great opportunity to speak with another accessibility practitioner. And today I am talking to Jill Bateman. Hello, Jill. How are you? Great, hey, How are you doing? I'm um, good. I'm talking from my home office on Vashon Island, which is a ferry ride away from Blink's Seattle headquarters. So where are you talking to us from?
1: I'm from Jackson, Ohio, and actually, originally, I'm from Seattle. So I'm pretty familiar with Whidbey Island, and that's great that you're out there.
0: Oh, all right, and and what area do, were you living in? Was it Whidbey that you were on?
1: No, I was living in in the C, in the city of Seattle. Actually, I grew up on the north side of Seattle in a place that's now called Shoreline.
0: Oh, all right, fabulous. So my wife's from that <clears throat> from that area. Well, uh, it's good to you. I have you as uh, part of this program and a good place for us always to start is if you just talk a little bit uh, about your current role and the types of activities that make up your uh, daily, uh, weekly life.
1: Good thing. Right now, I am working at Ohio University and I'm the digital accessibility coordinator there. What makes up my daily life is just about everything. So um, there's only a couple of us that that um, work in this field at the university, but um, we started something called the Ohio Dan, which is the Ohio Digital Accessibility Network. And we have about 130 people that are a part of that. And we meet monthly and try to encourage them to learn more about digital accessibility and improve digital accessibility in their everyday work. So that's been an extremely exciting part of our work, but we do everything from evaluating vendors to um, checking document accessibility to web accessibility. So we we pretty much are spread pretty thin, but we do we're starting to get a pretty good network and a pretty good um, momentum in terms of getting the campus uh, focused on digital accessibility and the importance of it, and we're pretty excited about that.
0: Well, I know as, a, as an instructor at the, the University of Washington, we would get, you know, missives about, uh, you know, making materials accessible. And so I had a little experience with that in addition to being a, an accessibility professional. But I, I, it must be a, a, a very large and nonstop effort to try and, and make, uh, you know, traditional uh, class materials accessible.
1: Yes, it sure is. It, it feels like a mountain and it it certainly is a mountain. It's um, the mountain. Isn't necessarily about, it was just, I'm always trying to figure out what the mountain is about and how to climb it. Um, Especially being from Seattle and spending time around a lot of mountains. Think about these kinds of things. Like how do you, how do you actually climb this thing? But the mountain is really not about people being jerks. It's really about not understanding how technology becomes the barrier and how much of a difference we can make in people's lives by just changing a few things about how we work and by starting to change a few things about how we work and really this is how i'm starting to get into usability and things like that which is how i got into um, digital accessibility but it opens it starts to open our eyes in terms of who who is using this tool why is it there How do I make it really communicate? What's what's the heart of the communication? What's the heart of what I'm doing? And I think that it's a really um, powerful way to get through to people. But I think for the most part, people just don't know. And finding ways to start to chip away at that lack of knowledge, because once people figure out that, oh yeah, if I just create better headings, I'm gonna go a long way toward making a more accessible document. Once you start to chip away at that lack of knowledge or that uh, that lack of awareness—certainly knowledge, even—it's just a lack of awareness. Once you start to sh- make that shift, people are excited about it, and they're excited about making sure that their work um, doesn't cause any barriers, because no- nobody really wants to create barriers. But getting that—it is a mountain to climb. Getting that message out there to so many people—we have it's a. High University is a pretty large university, but we're not alone in this. so um, we're we're starting to see some headway, and we're super excited about that
0: yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I totally appreciate that because uh, you and can I have, Vegas,
1: you, University of Washington for sure. yeah, you can hear
0: you, you know, you can have tools that have been vetted to be uh, accessible, but then you you know the 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 instructors doing the work still they're you know, it'll be like, well i i have powerpoints and i'm not really sure what i need to do there and then i have documents uh, that i provide and pdfs and so i think it becomes overwhelming and and yeah but just uh, you know you know providing constant uh you know nudges and tips and tricks and things like that i think you know we're in in accessibility uh, to me it's all about iteration and moving forward uh, you know as, as much as possible.
1: Absolutely, and I, I taught as well, and there's so much to it. And it's, there's a part of teaching that's, you know, as a, I was just an adjunct, so I probably would have gotten over this, but it's terrifying to stand in front of people and at a university and say, listen to me, because I know what I'm talking about. It's like, oh man, there's so, and you know, there's so much that goes into putting a course together. It's a lot of work. And on top of that, we're saying, oh, and by the way, there's more work that needs to be done, but it's not necessarily, and I think that's the part I like to to try and get across to people. It's not exactly more work. It's actually using the tool the way it's meant to be used. And nine times out of 10, by use, it's going to end up using the tool like PowerPoint or Word or even Excel, using it the way it was designed to be used, not really the way we've kind of hacked together and we've never really taken a class on how to use it, we end up being a lot more efficient with it as well because all of a sudden now you know if you're for, I'm going back to headers again but if you're in Word and you set up your headers in your styles you do, your your overall document's going to look so much better and it's going to be super fast to do because you've got your headers already styled you just do it once and that's just how you use the tool so a part a big part of this is how to use just learning how to use um, your tools more efficiently and more effectively.
0: Well, taking
1: up the barriers.
0: <laughs> well, I uh, you know, I will will definitely come back to uh, your current work. But one of the things I like to do in this program is to find out, you know, what things in our lived life and work life uh, were, you know, our first experiences with accessibility, and and then kind of how we found our way into making it part of our professional activities. So uh, kind of going back in time, where did it start with you? <laughs>
1: Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, I I did not take a direct path (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. I actually uh, graduated from Seattle University um, with a degree in communication journalism. And I worked in journalism. I worked in um, television news in Seattle and ended up moving to Ohio. And I didn't um, didn't really anticipate how rural this area was. But I ended up changing careers from journalism into public relations, and that's how I got involved at a, at a high university. And um, throughout throughout that process of change of changing my career, I started to get more and more involved in content and getting involved in in how to communicate to people in a way that they understand it. And that's always been kind of the the string that runs through my career. And probably about 2008, I ended up getting a master's degree, starting a master's program at the university and got involved in user experience design. And what I, one of the things that I focused on in user experience design was this idea of usability. This is a long story, but it's gonna make sense. <laughs> usability um, really is the foundation that you build upon for an extra, to create an extraordinary experience for people, but you can't ever create an extraordinary experience without usability. And somehow I put together, probably, I don't know exactly how, but I put ended up putting together that accessibility and usability had really similar heuristics. So they had really similar um, guidelines. The guidelines that are in usability are almost identical to those things that are in WCAG, for instance. And I had a really hard time convincing um, stakeholders that the product that they're, that we're creating a website or web application or any kind of design needs to be usable first. But I could do that with usability, with accessibility. I could use that extra, extra leverage of saying, this is the law. This is the right thing to do. This is the moral thing to do. Oh, and by the way, it's also creates this foundation of usability you have to have before you can start to create extraordinary experiences. Um, as I progressed through that, I was also drawn into um, my own family experience where my stepfather was starting to lose his vision through macular degeneration through, di- through because he had diabetes. And I started to see him know that he was going to lose his vision which is a terrifying thing but also knowing that well he also had significant hearing loss in his and he was aging and he was a brilliant man and i could see the effect of losing his vision and losing his hearing and his connection with his computer starting to disintegrate because i would come in and i could tell i could teach him how to use voiceover and i could teach him how to um, use some of the technologies that are that are available for people with disabilities, but he would run into websites where it wouldn't work. He would blame himself and he just got further and further away. And to this day, I still blame his disconnection from technology with his, his um, subsequent death, because he just gave up. He just started giving up on the world and he started giving up on his treatments. So for me, it was, it sounds a little bit dramatic, but it's, kind of a life and death thing that technology connects us to each other right now. That's where we're living. And if there are barriers there, which there are, um, and we have the ability to get rid of them, we have an obligation to do that. So that's, I think that's really, if you ask me what the driving force of why I do that, that's probably a big part of where it is. I know it's, it's, it's gonna make the tools more usable, not just for people with disabilities, but for everyone across the board. But for me personally, it's also that getting the barriers out of the way of people with disabilities so that they don't lose touch with each other and touch with us because we need them and they need us and we need to, take, we need to get those barriers out. Technology is the great connector unless there's barriers there.
0: So let's get the barriers out. Well, yeah. Thanks for uh, sharing your, your personal experience with that is, is definitely, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, touching anecdote to hear about your personal experience with that. Uh, it, it, you know, as part of that, you, you, uh, you know, indicated that you had, you know, some experience with uh with the voiceover and that type of thing um you know, just getting uh you know being able to understand what tools and technologies are part of uh, accessibility is important where what was it for you uh um how did you you know have your own education about those types of things did it come uh, through your university work um
1: i was really fortunate i was on the I'm a, I was a web developer before I got into this, um, this field, and our web team, uh, we were able to hire an accessibility specialist, a web accessibility specialist, and I learned a lot from her. I learned it we worked together quite a bit, and she mentored me. We're still good friends, um, and that's where a lot of my education came from. Um, she eventually left the university, and I was able to take a similar position to what she had and continue to build on the foundation she created. The rest of it has been Google searches, YouTube videos, um, everything I could find, because there really hasn't been, and there really isn't, it's frustrating, a really good um, academic program for, to learn how to, how to become a web accessibility coordinator or a web specialist or... There's some, you know, there's a few things out there, but it's not, to me, at least in my experience, it isn't as mature as say going into the field, which is where I work, the field of security, where you've got all of these certifications and training courses and a lot of uh, professional development that's available on a very high level that isn't necessarily there yet for accessibility, and that's frustrating because it's, it's just as valid and just as in some cases complicated and I know that we tell people all the time oh there's really simple things you can do to improve accessibility and that's true but to really move the ball some of that stuff's pretty deep and pretty complicated and we could use a lot more um training and validation and things like that and IAP IAAP does great with certification and things like that but I think there could be more
0: and uh you, with, yeah. with your what with do your work at at the university, um, is it within your area to actually uh, review tools and technologies that are being purchased by the university for use by students? Absolutely, yes,
1: <laughs> absolutely, yeah, and that's a big part of what I do, and that's a big part of what uh, the other person who works in our department does is uh, review these review tools and technologies for the university. We've spent we're continuously um, improving it, but we've spent a, a lot of time developing a process around purchasing. And I, I know it, it does frustrate our customers from time to time, but I think more and more, they're coming to understand why we're doing this and why it's important and why it matters. We also have a policy about IT purchases. So it's it's a big part of who we are and what we're doing. Um, it's not easy because it's um, we're asking our customers to explain to us why they're buying, what they're buying, what they're gonna be using it for, what it is. And it's not always easy to describe ICT in um, information communications and technologies um, in simple terms. And so that can get frustrating for people, but for the most part, we have a pretty robust process for vetting out um, based on a risk-based process, trying to make sure that we're purchasing the most accessible technology that we can. One of the things that I'm really proud of that we've done this year is, in the last couple of years really, is worked with Educause to create um, an, an additional 13 questions to something called the HECVAT, which is the higher education, oh, wow, <laughs> I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna draw a blank on this, higher education community um, vendor,
0: template of vendor we'll, purchasing. We'll put templates.
1: it in the show notes. Thanks. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Absolutely. Anyway, it's a it's a template that uh, security professionals use that asks vendors to tell um, higher education how secure their tool, is, how secure their technology is. We added 13 accessibility questions to that template. Um, it's not just a security template. It's just a, it's an overall vendor assessment tool. <laughs> That's the AT assessment tool. Um, that helps universities determine um, how accessible and how far, how mature this company is in their accessibility journey, and it, I think it's going to do a lot of good for for colleges and universities making purchases.
0: And uh, you know, you talking about that made me uh, you know think that I don't even really know. Do do does the university systems have? Are there like standards or best practices? Do you share your templates and ideas, or is is every institution essentially its own island uh, trying to make their way into this uh, uh, area of vetting products?
1: That's a really good question. It's not easy thing. It's not an easy thing to answer. In Ohio, we've tried to create kind of a consortium around accessibility. It's a lot harder than it seems like seems like it should be that we we all review the same things we share the reviews with each other and you know if somebody's reviewed that um this company here's the here's our res- results and you don't have to review it but everyone has a different use case on each of these products and some of these companies have 20 products so it's almost impossible to do that having said that um organizations like educause where all of the <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of university come universities, accessibility professionals come together and share our best practices is really a good start to to doing that, to doing just that. I don't know that we're ever going to get to the point where we can fully um, support each other, but we're trying. We're trying to get there. We're trying to get that. And again, just like accessibility, it's progress, not perfection. So we're trying to we're trying to take steps to make to get closer and closer to that goal of let's
0: make this a little bit easier on each other. Well, uh, as you uh, kind of look forward in, into the future, are there uh, any uh, new initiatives that you're excited about? Or are are there things that uh, maybe you wish uh, could be moving faster or areas that you think our profession needs to be particular? Like, like, I can tell you're... You're kind of <laughs> laughing about that, all right, because there, there's often a lot of things, but uh, of you things. Know, what, what might be a couple of, uh, you know, one or two focus points that, you know, are are always at the top of your mind?
1: Oh, wow. It's a tough one to answer because I want it all fixed. I mean, you know, I look at the WebAIM million pro- website pro- um, project that comes out every year, and I just get so discouraged by that every year it seems like we're just not making the progress that we need to i'm i'm not a big fan of laws and i'm not a big fan of regulations i'm a big fan of people doing things out of the goodness of their hearts but we know that not everyone's good and we also need to have other motivations so i'm hoping the duckworth bill that's kind of come up is is actually going to um give us some lift in um raising the awareness about accessibility and encouraging businesses and organizations across the, the country to um, improve what improve the accessibility of websites and improve the accessibility of web applications. I don't know what the, what the answer to that is, but I think, you know, I know that a restaurant is not gonna, out of the goodness of their heart, create parking spots for, for disabled customers. I know that there has to be some legislation there that has to be some teeth behind the legislation and the same is probably true for websites as well because it is hard it's you know we can't kid ourselves into saying this is a piece of cake it's it's a journey particularly when that thing is already built as we get as we shift left and get more into the design phase of our agile practices though I think we're going to start to see some changes I think if we start to see changes in um in university probably um university programs particularly in computer science programs that don't just have an accessibility class i think accessibility classes are not the answer i think the answer is integrating accessibility throughout the the coding prac the coding curriculum and same thing with the design curriculum in in art schools Um, once we start seeing that we're going to start seeing some real changes
0: well uh yeah it's been a pleasure uh chatting with you, uh, is, uh, are the students starting to uh, move back, or are you already into classes, or when do things start going again for you?
1: Tuesday. They start, they start up again Tuesday, so they've had quite a break <laughs> for this winter break, but yeah, the other, they're, they're coming back here very quickly, so we're gearing up for that. We're quite swamped.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I know, again, from my own experience, that that's, Everything's really quiet, and then suddenly there's this (laughs) crushing delay.
1: It was was
0: great uh, having this opportunity to uh, chat with you, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, meet up together at a a physical event at some point or other.
1: Absolutely. It's a pleasure, Joe. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers All employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design. We can move existing designs to development in a sprint, and maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X dot com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our programming whatever app you use.